You're listening to a Youth Takeover edition of the Remaking Tomorrow podcast, where teens host the program and welcome peer guests. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of learning. I'm Henry, and I'm here with Brendan, Rishi, and Daniel. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Uh, and so I think we're going to hop right into a discussion about defining personalized and equitable learning. Uh, so does somebody want to take their first stab at it? Personalized learning, I feel like to me, is kind of a curriculum that you don't have to follow. You can, but you can pick and choose parts of it that best apply to your personality. If you're somebody who's more of a history person, you choose more history classes. And having that kind of freedom to be able to choose what you want to do and focus on it, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty vital to building your character, understanding what you want to do whenever you get to higher education, testing the waters a little bit, kind of having a curriculum built for you. The, yeah. the one thing that I would add is personalized learning, in addition to being everything Rishi just said, is also having the teacher know where you are and having them being able to say, we're going to go a little bit slower today, we're going to go a little bit quicker today. Yes. I think it's a day-to-day thing of how are you feeling and how much can you do today? Because if you try to go too fast and people aren't ready, it's not going to be in their heads and it's not going to work. And if you go too slow, you're just going to be missing out on learning that can be done. And so personalized learning to me, part of that is having a class every day that is where you need it to be in terms of rigor and in terms of challenge. And I think a third aspect uh, for me for personalized learning is not just about making sure that every student's getting the help they need to be on the same page, but also helping students be curious in what they're learning. Making sure not that uh, students are just choosing their own path, but they're curious about what they're choosing. And true learning happens, you know, when a student is so interested in it that it's no longer about, you know, the grades or the tests or the assignments, and they just want to learn about it and understand it and have that big picture view of it. And I think that's where... uh, personalized learning really is at its best. I do think it's important, though, to be able to not just do everything that you thoroughly enjoy, because you don't know if you'll enjoy something else if you try it. Even if a million history, trying a STEM thing, maybe I'll like it, right? I think it is important to try to push yourself to do things that you're not so used to, go out of your comfort zone a little bit. For my personal definition of personalized learning, it's everything, pretty much, you guys said. It's taking what you're doing and branching away from what's going to work for everybody. And while, yes, it is important to try to make something that works for everybody, but Mm -hmm. that's not always going to be the case. So taking your learning and making it your learning. It can't be her learning, their learning, your learning. And then to define equitable learning, I think it benefits everybody, but is also something that is going to benefit each person individually as opposed to a whole. I think part of that is doing projects on your own, individual projects, because you can have a class that you really enjoy. You can have a history class that you're full of history nerds. But even within that, you might like uh, the Civil War, and they might like the Revolutionary War, and she might like uh, the Vietnam War. And so being able to say, I'm going to focus on this, I'm going to focus on my thing, I'm going to focus on the Civil War, and I'm going to do a really comprehensive uh, deep diving project on that uh, is part of personalized learning in terms of being in the right class and then within being in the right class, being on the right topic, one that you enjoy and makes you very curious. With being able to dive into a personal project, you gain a specialized knowledge that you wouldn't gain from just memorizing dates or memorizing things that happen. You gain the knowledge of a story which you can use to tell other people. 
that's something that's really interesting in equitable learning. And, and I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for students to have, but it's not given to every student. They can start learning now and build their knowledge and love for or, or passion for it. But if they don't know about it, if it's not equitable for every student, if they don't have these opportunities, then there is no way that they can grow that. Part of what I feel isn't equitable about learning, but I think is very important to foster is everything is connected. And I think deep dives are great. And I think students are going to find interest in different things. And I obviously encourage students to dive into what they're interested in. But I think also understanding like the social implications of different issues and how it relates into maybe like oh, math and science development. Or, you know, I've seen this a lot between like physics and calculus. Like you can sort of make your own connections as to how this applies. And I don't think that's always something that's fostered or necessarily yeah. focused on, but I think it's a very important part of learning. Mm-hmm. I always love classes that transcend barriers that aren't just focused on what they're teaching. We have a few classes at our school. One's urban research and design, mm-hmm. which I've talked to students about making And, you know, it's a history class, but it also involves math. It involves planning. It's a whole project aspect to it that you wouldn't think of. Different unique classes like that, I think, engage students to learn topics which they might not be so open to in different ways because it has a little something for everybody. Yeah, I think that's a big part of careers, too. Um, For example, I'm interested in uh, engineering. And engineering, like, on the surface is a lot of math and a lot of science and understanding how that works. But there's also a sense of, like, a social and historical aspect of why is this area that I'm building something in here? What what has affected it? Like, how will my building affect the community? And how should the community affect what I'm building? So I think that's an important mindset to have outside of yeah. just education. So I think we can talk about the uh, student-to-teacher ratio. Yeah, me and Daniel can attest to this. Yeah. I used to go to Chartres Valley, went there for one year, and... I used to go to Montessori school before that. So that's, that's a really small learning environment, right? It's very hands-on. It, teacher's right there telling you stuff, teaching you stuff. And then you go to this huge school and you're very on your own. You're in classes with probably the smallest class would be like 30 kids. Huge classes, right? And I have cousins who go to Mount Lebanon, so spoke to them about it, how big their classes are. They got to navigate their way through the school. And then having that shift to Winchester, you know, it's very small classes, right, Daniel? Like, yeah. So there's one class that has like four kids in it. Four, four kids. Four kids, French class. right? And one, you actually get to talk with each of those kids. And you can't stay so isolated to one friend because yeah. everybody's right there. And two, what it does, getting to our point, teachers can be very hands-on with you and your work and, and just knowing, okay, this is what needs to be done. This is what you need to improve on. And it can be challenging at times because of how much they can look at your work, but it is very helpful, I think, academically. But I know other schools don't have that, and they're missing that at times, right? We have seminar once mm-hmm, a week, mm-hmm. and it's where we have not a teacher, but some sort of administrator or specialized kind of person. And they'll come in and they'll teach us a skill, or they'll teach us a topic that we need to know about. And we go once a week, and so I like to go on Monday because there are a lot fewer students. It's like five or six instead of like 20 or something. Mm-hmm. And the difference is huge in terms of just the kind of environment that you feel like you're in. There's nothing really empirical. There's nothing tangible that you can like hold, but it just feels more encouraging to ask questions. If you're confused, say, hey, you know, what's going on with that? Or to just, yeah. you know, make sure that you're being in the conversation and following along instead of you feel like you're more detached from what's happening. Yeah. The effects of being in a smaller class that it really does feel more personalized. You can kind of move it the way you want to move it compared to if it's a lot bigger. I can speak to uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> larger classes. Um, I go to North Allegheny, which has 1,400 students just at my school, and that's just 11th and 10th graders. We have about 700 kids in a graduating class. And I have frequently uh, 30 kids in my classes. 
which is in contrast from I, I'm sure your experience <laughs> at yeah, uh, Winchester yeah. Thurston. But um, it can be done well and it can be done wrong. You know, I've been in classes with a lot of students where you don't feel the ability to speak out. But I think something that some teachers have done right, especially coming out of the pandemic, is learning how to like check in with their individualized students, but also make sure that they're not neglecting the entire class. And I think something that uh, one of my uh, teachers has done, actually a few of my teachers, is they do like little check-ins. Either at the beginning of class as a group, like we'll do thumbs up to thumbs down, like how are you mentally? How are you physically? gives people the opportunity to talk just at the beginning of class, and then it's not necessarily spending the entire class going to each student, but still making sure each student feels cared for and has an opportunity to speak out if something's wrong. So I think a large class of 30 sounds daunting, (laughs) but it can be done right in the sense where, you know, you feel the ability to go up and talk to your teacher and get help, or it can be done wrong and you feel overwhelmed by the amount of students and you don't feel cared for uh, individually. We had an English class. I think we were hybrid at this point. Yeah. But... uh, she would do these Google Forms at the beginning of each class. And it would be, you know, how are you? How are you feeling today? What's on your mind? And if it was something really kind of odd or really kind of extraordinary, she might check in with you at some point. But the idea was that she would kind of gauge just the feeling in the room of who's dealing with what and how focused are we on actually getting stuff done today. And she could adjust what's going on accordingly to either, you know, make it a little more rigorous, a little more fast-paced, or to slow it down. You know, if it's Friday afternoon, we're not really there yet she could kind of change it and adjust it. And I think that was really important for personalized learning, interacting with the teacher, even if it's through a Google form of just uh, being able to talk to her and have her understand where we were at at that point. The beauty of that is it makes a student really comfortable in a class. When you have a situation like that, it encourages people to speak up. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that needs to happen more. How do you think peers can do that for each other? Really understanding that not everybody learns the same way. So, you know, not mocking someone if they don't understand something at the board. I, in eighth grade, struggled with that a lot because I'm not great at math and I struggled to have any faith in my ability, you know, getting up to the board and doing work for the class. And it was because students were like, oh, you don't know what you're doing kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And and my teacher actually had me do it one-on-one with him to start off instead of doing it in front of the class. And, you know, eventually I got to doing it in front of the class. And I think students can do a lot better at encouraging each other. Yeah. When you're in a class and you feel like you're an outlier, it really makes you afraid to do anything in that class, be active in that class. So I think that if students made a very conscious effort to support one another instead of bashing one another, I think that would be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Learning is about making connections and really getting it. And so everyone like makes those connections in a different order at a different speed. Yeah. And so when there are fewer students in the classrooms, I think you become more gracious to the order that they're making those connections and yeah. how quickly they're making those connections. And so when they're smaller classrooms, it's so much easier to just understand that they're doing their thing at their pace and having the teacher being able to focus on that because it's four kids instead yeah. of 40 <laughs> is it's just absolutely massive. Yeah. Over the pandemic, as I'm sure a lot of schools did, had a lot of students who were just stressed out all the time and teachers were having trouble figuring out how to deal with it because, you know, we're online, we're in person, it's constantly changing situation. One of the ideas that we came up with is giving students more time to either relax, like we had uh, different calls you could join where there would be like music or time to study, time to talk to somebody or time to give feedback to administrators or just giving that time as like a structured time, like this is still your school day, but you have time to study. And it was not a complex solution to come up with or to implement, but I went a long way for a lot of students and giving that extra time. 
So my school did uh, the Wellness Wednesdays. We had an entirely asynchronous day, so we didn't have to join any classes or anything. But the entire point, it was a day-long study hall. So you still had to upload work, but you structured it. And it relates to the entire idea of more personal learning because, you know, someone who struggles with some social situations and just, you know, being at school, it was nice to be able to hop on a Teams call with a teacher of mine and have a one-on-one session for like 30 minutes. Do you feel like you got more done during this time? Oh, I got significantly more done. Mm -hmm. Um, I went from B average student to an A every class, didn't Mm -hmm. miss really any assignments. It was amazing, the difference. Yeah, and I think uh, a big benefit of that is you're not only teaching students to like take back some time for themselves and have some time to get work done and not necessarily be going, going, going the entire week, but also you're teaching them to structure their time to reach out for help when they need it. And you're teaching other important skills that are beneficial to students outside of high school and outside of the pandemic. We had had something a little similar at our school. We called them asynchronous Wednesdays, but they were effectively the same thing. And what I really liked about them was that if you felt like you were behind in class or that you didn't understand the material, the teachers were always available on Zoom so that you could talk about it and you could really understand it in a way that we couldn't really do before when there were only a limited amount of time that you could talk to teachers. And so in terms of equitable learning and personalized learning, I think it was really nice to have that extra time to use it how you needed to use it. I don't know the perspective of children in lower schools or elementary schools. I know it's much more tough for them. I feel like there is that age separation part. All of us at this point been through school. And now I feel like we have the maturity level to be like, okay, we have this time to ourselves. We know we have to get this work done and we know it's due. Like you have to make sure, yes, you're given this time, like a Wednesday, like a whole day off. You can take it as a day off or you can do what you're supposed to do and finish your work. I think that goes beyond school a little bit. It goes on to like your professional life because that has changed as well. And you do have the opportunity to be at home and, you know, you can take the day off, but you have to be able to meet the consequences if you don't finish your work. I think that's a skill that, I mean, at least I know I've learned from being able to go online. It's more responsibility aspect of it as well. Moving forward, do you think there's possibility or even an advantage to bringing that back, even though we're back in person? So I'm not sure. In one hand, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be very useful because I benefit from it. But there are other people who don't benefit from it exactly and, you know, to no fault of their own. I think it would be a trial and error thing. Yeah. I think it should be tried before, you know, we make the decision of if it's going to work or not. Yeah, and I think going into the future, it brings into this discussion of how should schools be supporting students in a more like social and non-strictly academic perspective. I think especially over the pandemic, we saw a lot of schools addressing topics like mental health and student stress. And I hope it continues to set a precedent for the future where schools are not strictly about academics, but we're starting to bring in this social aspect about how students manage their time, how students spend their time outside of school, students balance between school and extracurricular activities and time where they're not necessarily doing something structured. The pandemic sort of forced students to develop their own like study communities. For a human geography class that was like the hardest class at the intermediate high school for many students, we had a study group where before a test we would spend an hour or two for the two or three days before the test studying, reviewing terms, like planning out essays. And it really helped. (laughs) And we all did really well in all the tests. That was something like, you know, we had a mix of people who were hybrid and who were fully virtual. And so we were able to sort of lean on each other to learn the concepts. And we sort of developed a community where we were focused on like learning it, you know, and we were interested in it. And it would be after the test and we'd still be discussing the ramifications of this social issue or how this is affecting our daily lives or how it's not. And so I think it developed a community of learners, at least uh, for some of the kids at my school. Yeah. Speaking more to the community, I feel like the one beautiful thing about 
this whole experience is that we kind of have a new landscape, right, a virtual landscape, that it can transcend different barriers which we have in real life. That travel barrier is non-existent, and I personally found, and Daniel, you can attest to this, as we're both on mock trial, like what you said, creates a close-knitted community. I think it's kind of a double-edged sword in that I have been in so many communities that I had to be a part of because of how life had turned virtual, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you needed to be in the group chats and you needed to be on the Zoom meetings and all that kind of thing. But I also, I remember there was one student in particular, there was something about his schedule in that he couldn't meet with the rest of the kind of the study group at that time. And it was math, and so we were all kind of doing it together and we were teaching it to each other. And uh, he was a bit on the outside, and he was a bit mm-hmm. isolated. Yep. And I think he felt the effects towards the end of the year. Yeah. And I had talked to him about it afterwards, and he had additional responsibilities at home, and his parents were traveling and doing this and doing that. And so he couldn't do all the same things that we could do. You know, had we been in school, I think it would have been easier for us to include him and kind of bring him into the folds of what we were doing. And so finding a way to either use some of the virtual tools in the physical space to make it better for everyone or to include the people who might be left out otherwise in the virtual space when we're doing it that way okay. is also very yeah. important. Yep, I agree. What is one thing that parents and or educators can do to support every learner? A lot of educators can really get acquainted with mental situations and understand how it looks, the different ways that it can be projected mental disorders, disabilities, et cetera, appear different in every person. And I think a lot of educators and parents too, and students, you know, everybody can get more versed in what it looks like for different people to better tailor to said person. My answer for that would be to encourage curiosity because I think every student is passionate about their thing. And I think the future of learning is letting that curiosity lead education and the curriculum and schoolwork. I think what that's done through is seeing something in students and saying, you know what, I think you should do this competition, or I think you should do this project, or I think you would really enjoy doing something like this, and and just putting that out there. Just saying that for a student makes them feel like, you know what, my teacher's looking out for me, they're looking for opportunities for me. That gets a student, one, really into it, and and then if they try to pursue that, it's really important that a parent supports them through that process. Personally, I couldn't get through some of the work I've done without my parents' support. It's going to be what you are going to do when you grow up, not what a parent or someone else thinks you should do, right? And they should foster that and they should encourage you to do that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think one of the most beneficial things uh, that parents and educators can do is just sharing a curiosity. And shout out to my history teacher. I think he's done a really good job of this this year. Uh, We've been going through all of American history for AP U.S. history. And it's a really fast-paced class and you don't get time to deep dive. But he's given opportunities to say, hey, if you want to learn more about this, Here's this article, here's this resource, here's this thing that you can go look into and continue to learn more about this, just for curiosity's sake, not necessarily for a class or for a grade. Thanks to our guests for joining us today. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org.